This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 264 of The Bugle with me, Andy Zaltzman, in London, the spiritual home of the annoyed shuffle on a crowded train carriage. And joining me from across the Atlantic, nominated yet again in the world's largest ocean awards. Surely it has to win one of these years, doesn't it? It's the Marilyn Monroe of mirthmaking, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Well, the countdown begins, Andy. It is the first test show for my... Uh HBO show this Sunday night, which also marks the beginning of a four-week countdown to our first actual show. So it's, it's almost like I should put up an advent calendar of pure panic on my wall from now on, <laughs> open up a new door each morning to reveal a different chocolate animal frozen between a pair of oncoming headlights. <laughs> uh, the, the show starts on HBO on April 27th at 11 o'clock, and I should have some news over the next couple of weeks as to... Uh, uh, where else around the world you might be able to see it. And I'm hoping that Buglers will find a way to watch. In fact, I'm more than hoping that, Andy. I'm absolutely relying on it. Because <laughs> let's be honest, if Buglers don't want to watch, then I am completely and spectacularly and specifically f***ed. <laughs> um, so, I, well, I mean, on a similar thing, I, I recorded a video for Crick Info in my shed this week. So, you know, nice. both got big... And you gear. need Buglers to watch it. That's the point, <laughs> isn't it, Andy? I do need Buglers to watch it. Um, they might not fully understand my right take Doesn't on matter. the Doesn't matter. No one's asking them to understand. They're just asking <laughs> all for <of> eyeballs. <laughs> do not even look asking for ears. Yeah. So if you can bombard these Zolt Zone videos on Crick Info with hits, then, uh, you know, they might... Um, might you don't me. even need to pay attention to them. Yep. That's not. It's not complicated. It's just a vague presence is all that's required. <laughs> now, this is Bugle issue two hundred and sixty-four, two sixty-four. Of course, famously, the dialogue uh, exchanged when haggling over the number of legs that the hero in the Lassie films should have. Director Fred M. Wilcox wanted Lassie to be an ostrich, whereas producer Samuel Marks thought she should be a stick insect. They finally split the difference and settled on dog. <laughs> with the added bonus of that being true to the original book. Not as true as it might have been. Uh, they notably left out the scene in which Lassie crapped on the living room carpet and then left the half-eaten carcass of a rabbit on the sofa. Uh, this is for the week beginning <laughs> Monday, the 31st of March, which means, John, it is 125 years since the official opening of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Wow. Um, sadly, was, yeah, well, sadly, it was never actually finished. Uh, the current tower that we know today was supposed to be just the internal framework for the front of the world's largest papier-mâché goose. It was going to be a 340-metre-high <laughs> goose, which honked every morning at 8am to wake Paris up before saying bonjour to Le Monde um, and crapping out some foie gras from an industrial-sized arse. Think how different the world would have been, Andy, if some of the most romantic movies in history had been set in front of the gigantic Eiffel goose. <laughs> Just can't help feeling it's an opportunity missed. So tribute to the uh, French cruelty to animals industry. But, oh God, so damn tasty. Uh, as always, the section of the Bugle's going straight them in. This week, uh, pets section, including pet security. Is your dog an imposter? We investigate the increasing cases of dogs showing up at people's houses, claiming to be their long-lost pets returning home, then moving in and taking over their favourite armchair. 
Also, we investigate when is the right time to tell your cat what happened to its testicles and why it doesn't have the urge to do that humpy humpy thing it sees all the other animals doing on the telly. And was JFK's pet gecko Ivan involved in his assassination? He's never been seen since and he had a Russian name and the CIA have been eerily quiet about it. Also, we have a quick April Fool's Day section uh, in the in the bin. Um, it's April Fool's Day on Tuesday, 1st of April, as is traditional, and we have a special feature section in the bin on when April Fool's go wrong. We interview uh, the British undertaker's firm Holdsgrig and Jute, who last year on April the 1st pretended to one grieving family that Granny had woken up in the night, invited the family in, and there she was, propped up in an armchair watching telly with a tray of biscuits and a cup of tea, although obviously still dead. And we also uh, look, at, look at back at how the monkeys almost split up after an April Fool in which Mickey shot Peter with a tranquilizer dart on the evening of 31st of March, dressed him up in a wildebeest outfit and plonked him in a lion enclosure in Medellin Zoo during the monkeys' 132-date tour of Colombia <laughs> in 1969. Those two sections in the bin. Top story this week, incredibly stupid details and incredibly important stories. Uh, the world is a dark place, Andy. It's a complicated place. Uh, and unfortunately, neither of those things particularly appeal to a modern news landscape. Nuance <laughs> fits into modern cable news, Andy, the way that a bicycle pump fits into a burrito. It's an increasingly honourable gesture to even attempt it, but there's no way you're going to be successful. Here in the United States... <laughs> Here in the United States, CNN, uh, the new most offensive C-word in the English language, has foregone stories over the last couple of weeks that require analysis, curiosity, or any semblance of journalistic integrity to focus instead on spending their entire day guessing where a missing plane might be. Uh, News increasingly needs a hook, something to make it pop in the ratings and make it appeal to the casual eyeball. And there have been some truly magnificent examples of this this week. Yes, we are going to be looking at the light side of some extremely dark news moons. The diamonds in the dung heaps, or at least uh, <laughs> at least a fresh piece of still damp dung that's glistening in the last rays of sunlight. There's an old saying, the darkest hour is right before the dawn. In fact, the darkest hour, often followed by another pretty f***ing dark hour, and then some more <laughs> darkness. And also, modern blackout curtains can really shut out the life pretty much permanently. But often, John, even in the gloomiest of forests, there is a single shrub of laughter growing, a slice of mango in an otherwise unremitting bowl of low-grade ratatouille, a sudden Jimi Hendrix riff in a spoken word album of Donald Rumsfeld's poetry, which isn't great, but was oddly inspired by Wilfred Owen, although concentrating on the tragedy of peace rather than the tragedy of war. And I guess this has been true through history. There's always been, even in the, the most darkest news stories, something that has a little bit of light in it. You know, when the almighty Lord set one of his trademark plagues to kill the firstborn in Egypt, there must have been an other news story in the Memphis Hieroglyph <laughs> newspaper a week or so later about a family whose firstborn had escaped because his mum and dad had gone bowling and left him with an underage babysitter who the plague thought was the firstborn and hilariously killed instead. First up, crisis in Crimea continues. Uh, Look, the world has a geopolitical crisis on her hands, Andy. Ukraine is stuck in a tug of war between East and West. There is nothing simple about this story, and it requires serious analysis. But hold on. Has Russia just annexed some Ukrainian combat dolphins? Let's talk about that! (laughs) Yes, 
A number of highly trained Ukrainian military dolphins are going to switch nationalities and become Russian. Lovely combination of words there, Andy. Obviously, the meat of that sentence is the phrase Ukrainian military dolphins, but there is some artisan bread around that too. Uh, Essentially... Ukraine has had an attack dolphin program for decades, with dolphins trained to identify underwater military threats, including spy equipment, enemy scuba divers, or mines on the ocean floor. It might sound stupid, and that's because it is, but both Russia and the US actually also have versions of this program. In fact, it was rumoured that the Soviets once trained killer dolphins equipped with hypodermic needles loaded with carbon dioxide like sociopathic flippers. In, in, in 2012, in fact, it was reported that uh, the Ukrainian Navy planned to resurrect the concept of dolphin assassins by training them to attack enemy combat swimmers using special knives or pistols fixed to their foreheads. And apparently, <laughs> in their research, it was very difficult for the enemy combat swimmers to defend themselves in those situations as they were usually completely incapacitated by hysterical laughter. Oh, God! <laughs> Look at that dolphin. It's got a pistol fixed on its head. Oh, this is fantastic. I can't believe this is going to be the last thing that I'm ever going to see. I am so lucky. <laughs> well, this is, you know, it's it's great to hear a story like this in uh, what has otherwise, as you say, been a rather rather tense news month in, uh, in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has claimed that he has no intention of any further opportunistic land grabs in the Ukraine. To most Westerners, he might as well have said, I've just become the first man to successfully grow aubergines on Saturn, and I've slept with all 12 of the Mitford sisters. We just <laughs> do not believe a word that he says. But at least, John, at least, John, we have, we have the dolphin yes. story. Yes. And it is adding fish-eating insult to territorial injury that <laughs> Ukraine should lose its squadron of crack-bomb-spotting killer dolphins. I mean, you have to ask, you have to ask, you know, why... Why have they changed? Well, for a start, their their project has had uh, some troubles before. In March of last year, reportedly, three dolphins deserted the military dolphin program to look for mates, which is, I mean, how often have we seen this story through history, John? Uh, Mm -hmm. People thinking with their balls, not their heads, letting their dolphin dicks get in the way of their careers. (laughs) Tragic. But now... um, They're defecting to Russia. I guess, you know, Russia's got more money for its military, probably better opportunities... For dolphins, uh, also Ukraine, pretty much Black Sea or bust, whereas Russia offers a much, much greater range of coastlines. If you're going to be a fighting dolphin, John, you want to be able to have a range of seas to choose from. They are notoriously intelligent creatures, dolphins. You see this from the fact that uh, rarely amongst animals of their size, they very seldom get eaten by lions. That is a sign of a good snout for safety. They have a very healthy fish-based diet. Shows that they look after themselves, unlike some species I could mention, such as humans and foxes, too much junk food, and blowflies, too much raw meat, much of it past its best before date. But dolphins, though, a lot of sushi. And all that jumping out of the sea, very good exercise, built into their ordinary, everyday schedule. That's the way to do it. No point going to the gym when you can do it just in your ordinary, everyday line of work. So I'll ask you, when did you last meet a bed-bound dolphin? But anyway, so it's, they're an intelligent creature, John, and they've seen which way the wind is blowing in this crisis. And Russia offers superior job prospects for any ambitious young military dolphin. But where's the loyalty, Andy? That is my problem. I can't believe they're going to defect. I cannot believe these f***ing flippers are going to flip. You'd have thought that they would would all commit to an honour-based mass suicide. 
before defecting <laughs> to Russia. Maybe each holding a flipper over the other one's blowhole. This is so disappointing. There are truly, Andy, no attack dolphin heroes anymore. These dolphins... <laughs> swore an oath, a sacred oath to Ukraine, an oath which presumably sounded like this. <laughs> Although, should we really be surprised, Andy? Dolphins have no moral backbone. They'll essentially swear allegiance to anyone who'll throw a f***ing fish at them. They're mercenaries. <laughs> you want me to jump through a hoop, balance that ball on my nose, or assassinate that frogman? How about you fetch me a fish from one of those buckets over there and we can talk? Well, also, we see, you know, the, the historic issues in this, this whole crisis that the uh, fighting dolphin program was started, as you said, under the Soviet Union. So inevitably, the, the call of Mother Russia is going to come back at some point. I mean, it's very much dolphins really reflecting human geopolitics. It's tragic to see that we, we've infected even the aquatic world. Is it possible, Andy, that this stash of attack dolphins are actually the only reason that Putin was interested in the Crimea at all? Because, as we talked about last week, it seemed Crimea had very little of any value to it, but that was before it was revealed that they have a secret elite army of trained murder dolphins. And clearly that's quite a <laughs> prize. Apparently, there are also a unit of combat sea lions in Sebastopol who operate out of the base there but it's apparently, and I quote, not yet clear what will happen to them. Exactly, Andy. And that's because those sea lions would never work for Putin. That's my point. You have, you'd have to prize the Ukrainian flag from their cold, wet flippers, which actually shouldn't be too hard. Their flippers are always cold and wet, and sea lions don't have the best gripping motion. But that's not the point. <laughs> it's about loyalty. And the more you look into this secret, Sebastopol... Uh, death dolphin program, the worse it gets. Back in 2000, they actually sold 27 trained attack dolphins, walruses, sea lion seals, and even a white beluga whale to Iran. How has this not been an issue in the news? Never mind developing a nuclear weapon, Andy. I'm now much more concerned about Tehran developing a nuclear whale. This world <laughs> will never be the same. If the Ayatollah has access to a fully functioning atomic free willy, it's it, Putin at this point is getting so close to being a real life Bond villain that he's dangerously close to a copyright infraction from the Ian Fleming estate. <laughs> what do you say? Was this really what it's all about? And in fact, in February this year, according to one news report, the Ukrainian Defense Ministry in Kiev announced plans to release these attack dolphins into the wild or rehouse them in civilian aquariums in a cost-cutting move. Then all of a sudden, about a week later, bang, in goes Russia. It clearly kicked this whole thing off. It's not about reuniting Mother Russia or geopolitical dick-swinging or finding Vlad Vla, Vla, Putin a convenient excuse for not having to listen to David Cameron banging on about shit at the next G8 summit. It was about keeping this killer dolphin project alive, John. So, there you go thus far. Uh, still very tense in uh, the region, largely non-violent status quo remains very fragile. Sanctions are starting to bite, very much like an earthworm wolfing its way through the hide of a rhinoceros. And the threat of the far right looms in Ukraine. The world is very much in a state of fingers crossed semi-diplomacy. But there are now dolphins involved, John, so it just somehow seems a happier story. North Korea news now, and look... North Korea is still one of the worst places on earth to be a human being. There's no doubt about that. Starvation, disease, utter isolation, as well as sinister prison camps and executions for anyone even suspected of being 
an enemy of the state. It is a story, Andy, that needs delicate, incisive journal. Hold on. Everyone in North Korea might have to have the same stupid haircut. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and reports came out of Radio Free Asia this week that there was a state-sanctioned guideline for all North Koreans to adopt Kim Jong-un's particular haircut, which I guess you might describe as business at the front, famine at the back. It's uh, it's the male <laughs> KD Lang look. His haircut is I, I see it, the I perfect see it more expression as a... of life in North Korea. Rigorously controlled around the sides with any expression trimmed down to an easily controlled stub with a freedom of hair on the very top that few in North Korea are able to enjoy. <laughs> I see it more as a... Hitler on top, Mussolini underneath kind of, kind of look. <laughs> Apparently there were some early concerns. Uh, one source told Radio Free Asia, our leader's haircut is very particular, if you will. It doesn't always go with everyone since everyone has different face and head shapes. That's a fair criticism, Andy, from someone who has just subjected themselves and the next three generations of their family to a lifetime of hard labour in prison camps with that little <laughs> comment. Because the great leader's hair goes with everything, Andy. It can be dressy, it can be casual. It would look good on men, it would look good on women, it would look good on hamsters. The point is, it's the perfect haircut. It was an interesting glimpse into how the uh, news media works because the story began as Kim Jong-un orders all North Korean men to have exactly the same haircut as him. It then became Kim Jong-un orders all male North Korean students to have the same cut as him. And then it became, yeah, that might all have been bollocks, but it was still a good story. Still a nice little piece of news quirk that helped take our minds off the murderous brutality and medieval repression of one of the world's least sociable dudes. It was amazing. The story was absolutely everywhere, despite the fact that, like you say, a lot of people are calling either complete, total, or at least mostly partial bullshit on it. But that didn't stop outlets from reporting on it. You could sense them thinking, we don't give a shit. This has to be true, or at the very least, it's too great a story for me to really care enough to fact-check it. And the same, well, that's right. the same, this the keeps happening of- in North Korea. The same thing happened with the story about Kim Jong-un feeding his uncle to a pack of ravenous dogs. That story made the rounds, not because it was true, but because journalists clearly just wanted it to be true, treating facts <laughs> like a kind of tinkerbell. This story can be true if you just believe. Believe, boys and girls. <laughs> Girls. Well, that's right. It's the first rule of journalism, John. If something looks like a fact and quacks like a fact, it might be a fact. Then if you publish it, it becomes a fact until someone hits back with a counterfact. But you've got that precious moment where for a few happy hours the other day, it was a fact that all men in North Korea were going to have Kim Jong-un's haircut. Those were great days for humanity, John. A- apparently um, the, ha- the haircut uh, it was relatively unpopular in North Korea before people were required to like it upon potential pain of death. Uh, Apparently it was called the Chinese smuggler haircut. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a hairdresser's, Andy, and said, just give me the Chinese smuggler. It's a perfect (laughs) fit for my face. Uh, And long hair has generally been discouraged in North Korea since 2005, uh, when a, a government campaign warned men that too much hair could consume vital nutrients, stunting brain development. Uh, The campaign recommended that North Koreans schedule haircuts every 15 days. And wow, you know a piece of propaganda is flimsy if it could be completely dismantled by a single L'Oreal shampoo commercial. Because as we all know, Andy... (laughs) As we all know, L'Oreal shampoo has all the nutrients that your hair needs for glossy, fuller-looking hair and excellent brain development. Full disclosure, that joke was brought to you by L'Oreal. L'Oreal, because you and the people of North Korea are worth it. 
I'm, John, very much not one to tell other people what to do with their hair, so I can't really criticise Kim Jong-un. My combined expenditure on haircuts this millennium so far would be enough to buy a grand total of zero loaves of bread, uh, <laughs> no boxes of eggs, absolutely no top-end bottles of whiskey, and definitely zero luxury sports cars. And um, I wouldn't want a sports car anyway, John. Sports cars, very, very disappointing, I find, uh, I hired a sports car for a weekend once, and I beat it at every single sport I played against it. It was useless. Tennis, 6-1, Didn't even get a serve in, although some of its returns did bounce back trickily into court, and I flagged a bit in the second set. Athletics did the decathlon. Sure, the sports car thrashed me in the 100 metres, it through the line in just 3.4 seconds. I was lagging behind in a season's best 11.3. But it then fouled out with three no jumps in the long jump, and that was it. Boxing, it just went rope-a-dope. I almost had to pull out when I cut my hand, smashing it in the headlights, but I tucked up for the last <laughs> couple of rounds and won on points. What was I talking about? Anyway, haircut. I haven't paid for a haircut since 1999, so me giving Kim Jong-un grief about his style choices, the nut jobs, nut jobs, if you will, uh, would be very much like a penguin giving you tips on how to cook the perfect T-bone steak, or Madeleine Albright ripping you to pieces about your breakdancing skills, or the Pope lecturing you on contraception. Totally and utterly inappropriate, John. But uh, you've got to admire it. It's a kind of cross between the 1980s Brat Pack and Henry V. <laughs> so... See, the point is, counter-reports emerged claiming that there was, in fact, not one single state-sanctioned haircut, uh, and there was absolutely no evidence of that. There was, however, (laughs) evidence that North Koreans might have been uh, told to choose between 18 approved hairstyles for women and 10 for men, and that North Korea's state TV station had launched a campaign against long hair called Let Us Trim Our Hair in Accordance with the Socialist Lifestyle. First, catchy slogan, Andy. And if you, frankly, if you're not asking for the Chinese smuggler, you're definitely going into a hairdresser saying, just give me something in accordance with the socialist lifestyle, by which I mean distri- distribute my hair evenly over the entirety of my head. Uh, but also, having 28 state-sanctioned haircuts is not not weird. That is still <laughs> a very strange situation to be in, even though, to be honest... I don't think I could actually name 14 haircuts right now. They're short, long, short with long bits, long with short bits, classic Bieber, modern Bieber, and the Rachel. That's all I've got. That's all my knowledge is. (laughs) Most of the official North Korean uh, ladies' haircuts do appear to be designed to make them look like the dowdy girl in the 1980s American teen flick before she meets a trendy friend, has a makeover and a trim, and becomes hot and therefore socially acceptable. And you can do that in 18 <laughs> different ways in, uh, in North Korea. Um, but I think, you know, we at the Bugle... I guess there's something to be said for patriotic haircutting, John. I know we at the Bugle, we've always, uh, always taken this uh, responsibility to patriotic coiffuring extremely mm-hmm. seriously, John... I know you've always modelled your hairdo on the lush, dark pelt of Chesney, Lord Horatio Nelson's lucky Canadian black squirrel given to him by King George III, which he used to keep in his pocket during battles and stroke to keep him calm, and who soothed the great naval warrior in his dying moments at the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805. In fact, Nelson's final words, commonly misreported as Kiss Me Hardy, are now thought to be, by most reputable historians, an instruction by Nelson to fetch high tea for Chesney. Uh, his lucky squirrel, creature of habit, who got very cross if he can get his meals at their regular time. Whereas I have always, uh, on my head, attempted to replicate the holy royal sproutings from Queen Elizabeth I's sainted and untainted Netherow Sanctuarium. 
Vatican news now. And look, Andy, the Catholic Church remains a vastly influential powerhouse. Uh, The fallout from the institutional cover-up of large-scale child abuse has been significant, and though the new Pope has shown an inclination towards reform, questions remain about the practicality of a restrictive policy on birth control in the light of the AIDS epidemic in Africa and around the world. Hold on, hold on, Andy. Someone sending cocaine to the Vatican. Let's talk about that. (laughs) In an amazing sting. German officials claim that they intercepted a shipment of cocaine that was destined for the Vatican. Officers at Leipzig Airport found 340 grams of the drug stored inside a shipment of cushions from South America. Say what you like about this new Pope, Andy. He is shaking (laughs) shit up over there. For a start... This kind of makes sense. Everything in the Vatican is incredibly expensive. There is gold everywhere. And perhaps the only way they could think to make everything even more luxurious is instead of stuffing cushions with feathers, stuffing them with cocaine. Like holy sea scarfaces, Andy. And the, the more amazing detail is that according to the German customs report, the cocaine was actually placed into 14 condoms. And look... That is an intense level of irony. And the only way you you can increase the degree of Catholic irony there was if the condoms of cocaine were in fact smuggled inside an altar boy. That's the only way. <laughs> Do we know you that could definitely make it... didn't happen? Talk, guess... talk, talk faster, Andy. You I need guess... to talk faster, not let that joke hang in the air. I guess... Uh, you know, You've any... left me on the edge of a mountain cliff, Andy! Help me! I guess if you're a German... That joke cannot... Re- there can't be a long pause after that joke. <laughs> any uh, any customs officer coming across a shipment of cushions from South America is going to think, well, <laughs> this could be my lucky day. Uh, I mean, there is, an, there is a possibility this was just a very delayed order that had been put in by Bugle favourite Pope, John Twelfth. During his yes, tenth I love century, that pope. during his tenth I love century that pope. reign of debauchery, twelve ounces of cocaine and fourteen condoms would have done him for about a regular Saturday night in, by the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> it's possibly, I think, for a, a, this was a Vatican experiment, John, to see if um, cocaine and condoms, both frowned upon by God, the latter surprisingly right. seems more than the former, to see if whether when you put them together with condoms full of cocaine, they magically become incredibly holy, maybe even a transubstantiated finger of Jesus. Because let's not forget that Jesus had magic fingers that could make people feel suddenly much better straight away and could probably stop them having babies if they didn't want them. So a condom full of Charlie would seem to be the most obvious way for his finger to come amongst us. He loved wine to a fault, if the wedding of Cana story is to be believed, and also the parable of the man who chained his buddy to a lamppost on a stag do as anything to go by. And he also had a bit of a biscuit craving going on too, the boy Christ. Hence the wine and the wafers. Condom, uh, Coke-filled condom fingers seems just as theologically logical. The package was apparently addressed to the Vatican Postal Office, meaning that any of uh, the Vatican mini-state's 800 residents could have picked it up. No one claimed the package, indicating that he or she, probably he, was uh, was (laughs) tipped off about the plan. Uh, The drugs would have had a street value of several tens of thousands of euros. And the amazing thing is, Andy, that when you consider the kind of criminal activity the Catholic Church has been taking part in over the last 20 years, international cocaine dealing actually seems like a moral step forwards. (laughs) Talk, Andy! Don't leave me on the edge of a cliff after that! John, John, 
I think we've we've made our fragile peace with the Catholic Church over the <laughs> years on this true. podcast. <laughs> That's true. Things go. You know, we we have already got at least four eternities in hell to look forward to. There's no no point. There's no point trying to butter them up now. So there you go. Amongst the things that have brought most grief to humanity, it would have been remiss of us in this special episode not to tip our hats to the Catholic Church's anti-deluvian attitude to contraception and the life-shattering, ruthless mis- misanthropy of the international drugs trade. And there, John was a story that brought the two together with absolutely hilarious consequences. Designing the reverse side of the new £1 coin contest update. And thank you for all of those who sent in entries uh, for this. Uh, we've narrowed them down to a few uh, potential candidates. Um, this one came in, and you're not the only person to suggest this, from John Taylor, who wrote... Uh, Surely, given that the face of the coin will have the Queen's face on it, the only suitable thing for the backside of the coin is the Queen's backside. Nothing gra- graphic. The last thing we need is Liz Rex doing Goatsy. What is Goatsy? Oh, don't. I've, what, don't. I don't know. What? Do you know what it is, Chris? Yeah. What oh, is... Okay, I'm going to say something instantly going to regret it because right. I think it will affect our relationship. Okay. Google it. No, don't, no, don't, 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 don't. This, this, this never it. happened. I'm not Googling this. This okay. never happened. Is this some <laughs> kind of advanced just, form of just, quirky? Just, let's move on. All right. Move on. Okay. <laughs> Maybe just a perky back view of the royal rump, perhaps with the Q-bone throwing a coquettish look over one shoulder. Her Majesty's moneymaker would get the pound out of people's pockets and get Britain spending again. Yours patriotically, John Taylor. And you would not believe, actually you would believe, Buglers, how many of you have... Sent in suggestions featuring the Queen's sweet royal butt. Now, I don't think that is... I don't think we should allow that to go through. Even Prince Philip is not allowed to look directly at the royal posteriors. He has to look at it through a mirror in case it turns him into solid gold. It's like an inverse Medusa. Uh, This one came in from Chris Otero. He said, my suggestion for the back of the new coin is Margaret Thatcher in a nightgown on all fours licking an ice cream cone from John Oliver's outstretched hand whilst Andy, (laughs) dressed like Leonidas from 300, winds up to smack her ample bum with a cricket bat. I apologise, says Chris Chris Otero, for any psychological trauma I've just caused. That... If that coin existed, Andy, it would take Britain back to a sheep-based bartering system. (laughs) It's a little bit like goat see that. <laughs> and uh, Ollie Perk sent in a suggestion with some actual diagrams, mocked up versions of the pound coin, which uh, replaced the Queen on the front with the Bugle logo and uh, had the uh, recipients of the Bugle f- eulogies on the obverse side, which, um, I mean, that would be a very interesting numismatic departure <laughs> for Britain to uh, have a coin commemorating uh, some of its greatest enemies from recent years. Um and uh, Gordon in California suggested Isambard Kingdom Brunel sitting in a chair in a top hat with a musket leaning against the chair as he watches a group of Scottish, Irish and Indians build a bit of railroad whilst he sips a cup of tea. I hope this is a worthy submission. Good day, I said, good day. <laughs> That's can get much more... I mean, that, that is going back to why Britain has so much money to make into coins in the first place. We have to remember, John, that one of the rules for this was that it had to be something that could be drawn by my seven- and five-year-old children. I'm not sure we're getting too many that I'm going to be happy to say, OK, kids, we're doing some drawing homework now. Can you do Isambard Kingdom Brunel with a rifle? And James Alario from Los Angeles suggested three uh, 
choices. He writes, Dear Andy, John and Chris, in order of whom is most likely to get kicked out of a football match by dropping his pants, grabbing his franken beans and yelling, Hey ref, I got your yellow card right here. Here are my three choices. One, Wayne Rooney's bare ass sitting on a cheese sandwich. That's pretty British. <laughs> Two, a very sweaty Guy Fawkes giving the middle finger directly at the person holding the coin. Or three, Godzilla humping Big Ben. Well, that's... Uh, <laughs> Well, I guess I mean that's pretty much a a metaphor for the progress of the twentieth century, isn't it? So, though, thanks, thanks for your entries. Uh, there were a copious amount, and uh, we will submit them all to Buckingham Palace and await their response with bated breath. Do keep your emails coming into info at thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com/slash/the-bugle, and at our website, thebuglepodcast.com. You can get all your Bugle merch, including a very fetching blue and yellow T-shirt. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for this week. John, best of luck with your uh, your, your your trial trial show. Thank um, you. Uh, I hope you're not instantaneously sacked by HBO. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Andy. That is also a thing I hope. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back next week. John might be back in London, trying to re-piece back together his career over here by then. <laughs> but hopefully he'll still be in New York. Until then, Buglers, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss... Lime bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.